we talk to people from the world of audio about their ideas, opinions, and methods. Hi, I'm Mark Young. In today's episode, I spoke with the Texan guitarist Emily Wolf. In the podcast, she talks about getting her first guitar at the tender age of five, how Austin's music scene has influenced her sound, and the new direction she's taken for her upcoming album, Outlier. Emily Wolf is next. Hi, Emily. Thanks for joining me today. How are things in Texas right now? You're based in Austin. Is that right? Austin, Texas. Yep. Things are good. Um, oddly rainy. It's been rainy for like a yeah. month here, which is weird, but um, mm. yeah, it's going good. Things are opening back up and mm. shows are coming back. So I'm, I'm super excited about that. Do you, do you have a show lined up or do you have something coming up soon? Yeah, I've got... Um, I've got a show in Fort Worth on June 11th at Tulips, and then in Austin, um, I've got a show on June uh, June 26th. Um, okay, those yeah, are coming up fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. After after I guess a year off, or did you do? Uh, I mean, we can get into all this later on, but I guess while we're talking about it, did you do st- like online events over the past year? What I'm guess what I'm asking is, will these be your first shows in a year? You know, I, I actually did, I got all my friends round up last October and we did this outdoor show. Ah. I rented a bunch of like, you know, subs and speakers and, and it was just me and my band and we played in the middle of the forest (laughs) Um, to, to like scratch an itch. Um, But pretty much, I mean, yeah, these are, I, I think I did one other show here in Austin at Empire garage um which is downtown uh that was a couple of months ago but other than that i mean this is like kind of the kickoff to things things starting up again so well austin is known for its great music scene but i also just see these headlines that it's uh, there's there's a flood of silicon valley money and jobs in recent years is it still an affordable place to be a musician no. <laughs> no, no. Wrong question. No, no. Uh, no I mean, that's a uh-huh. great question. It's a yeah. great, great issue to tackle. You know, Elon Musk is, it has moved here mm. and moved his business here. And there's mm. a ton of people moving in and out. I mean, there was like a condo that, or like a whole slew of condos that I read sold out in half a day. Oh, So it's like one of those things, like, you know, everybody's moving here, but, but it's great for the economy. And it's cool that all these different things are coming into town. It's tough for musicians, one, because of COVID, but, you know, there's also like great, the cool thing about Austin is they have like great aid for musicians. Like mm. there's something called HAM, which you can you can get health insurance and like in-ear monitors and doctor's appointments through. So there's a bunch of different programs and grants, you know, they do grants through the city for musicians. It is tough to to make it a, like as, an, as a musician, here but i mean there's gigs everywhere and if you really hustle you know you can you can do it so cool well i'm glad to hear that it hasn't been completely uh elon muskified (laughs) i guess not quite yet anyway but maybe we could maybe we could go back to the very beginning for a second because i was reading up in preparation for this interview and maybe perhaps you could tell our listeners about getting your very first guitar and what that meant to you i think you were five is that could you tell us that story yeah, I was five. Um, my my mom took my sister and I to a thrift thrift shop, mm. and I remember the aisles being like kind of empty. It was 
kind of like, you know, a, not a great shop. Um, <laughs> but I did look down one aisle and I saw this harmony guitar and it was, I still have it. It's in my closet. I should have got it out, but it was, it's this little kid size, like acoustic harmony guitar. And it was like my world opened up when I saw it. And like from then on, I just kind of latched onto it and, and just kept going. And now I have these. <laughs> the people in podcast land can't see your beautiful quiver of guitars. It's uh, are they all Epiphones? What are they? Yeah, most of them. So that first guitar, you latched onto it. You s- just started strumming away. Did you start taking lessons, or how did it? Or self-taught? How, tell us a little bit about those first years as Emily, the guitarist. <laughs> yeah i I did. You know, I plucked away at it a little bit. I wasn't by any means good as a five year old, <laughs> but yeah. um, towards, you know, down the line, I started to kind of look to see, you know, like, Hey mom, can you take me to this music music shop? And I remember my second guitar was the Strat like copy. It was called the Slammer Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know what happened to it. I think it was sold in a garage sale, but um, that was the guitar that I took to my first lesson, which that first lesson was, you know, it was, it was the, I mean, my guitar teacher told me that I wasn't good and that Ooh. I needed to learn drums. So oh, wow. I kind of started, wow. yeah, I kind of started this, like, I mean, it didn't feel great to hear that, yeah. but at the same time I got to uh, five. Five. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow, this guy was brutal. really mean to me. I know. Wow. So brutal. But at the same time, you know, he did, he was like, let's learn drums. So hmm. through that, like, you know. He that. he helped you become a multi instrumentalist <laughs> is what you're trying to say yeah yeah through a totally just you know put put down um, right so I took that lesson and then I I kind of gave up on guitar for a bit because I was told I wasn't good but then I moved to Texas with my family from North Carolina that's where I was born as a young kid and I, to cope with you know a new area I I started just playing and mm. that was kind of the gate that opened was moving to a new place and not knowing anybody. Um, so that was my, my, my guitar was like my friend. And right. um, so from then on, it was, it just kind of snowballed into what it is today. Yeah. I, I mean, it's interesting you bring up the move into Texas. Do you feel that geography, like where you grew up, did that influence, how, or how do you think that influenced you as a musician? I mean, I'm thinking of maybe your first guitar role models. Was that very focused on where you're from, Texas? It got to be that way. We, I lived in a suburb of Austin growing up, and in high school, I didn't, I didn't really have an identity as a guitar player until, mm. I'd say, college. When, uh, uh, do you remember LimeWire? Yes, I do. I'm old enough to remember yeah. LimeWire. Yes, yes. Me too. So yeah. LimeWire in college, and in, I went to St. Ed's or St. Edward's. It's um, on Congress. Um, it's a small little university, but. Uh, everybody had LimeWire, and so you could see everybody's music libraries and just yeah. like rip them and take the songs. So I guess somebody in my dorm had a BB King and Stevie, and mm. I just kind of I stole their library and put it into my iTunes, and then start just like dove into these guitar players. And I was at the time playing acoustic, and then I I I heard these these guitar players that opened my world up. And from that, I started to learn about Stevie and learn his history with Austin. 
So I'd say in college is really when I started to dive into my identity as a guitar player, oddly enough, through LimeWire. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the geography has definitely affected my sound because I got to, there are so many venues here that I got to kind of experiment with with my trajectory, playing a bunch of different shows, a bunch of different venues. And, you know, there's there's venues from country venues to two-step to rock to, you know, hip-hop venues, like, all over town. So, mm. um, you know, I got to, like, I got to go see a bunch of shows and see what worked for other people and just experiment that way, which I think if I stayed in the suburb that I grew up in, I wouldn't have experienced that. So that's really the story about how Austin affected my sound. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And I take it after that, when you started delving in, that's when you went out and got, got the Epiphone. Yeah. So when I started to dive into BB King, that's when I really started to be drawn to the 335 style mm-hmm. Gibson. And as a college student, you know, you walk into a, a guitar center or whatever and you'll see, Oh, Gibson's three grand. Um, <laughs> that's, yeah. uh, so an Epiphone, that was what I could afford as a college student. And that that's kind of how it started was through, you know, financial kind of restraint. But I don't know. I think that with Epiphones, I just started to play them and it just became my thing and it started to become a part of me. Mm. And it helps too growing up that my mom would always say like Gibson and Epiphone, like, you know, those that's that's the real deal, Gibson. So I think having that in the back of my mind and then also playing it all the time at every show that's really what kind of got me stuck on the brand i do switch it up like i have a firebird that i play sometimes because it's Mm. got like mini humbuckers that have a more of a telly sound but as far as as far as guitars yeah i mean i'm i'm pretty pretty married to gibson (laughs) and epiphone because i i mean i just love the build quality yeah um i love that they're you know you can beat it up you could beat the hell out of it and it's it keeps keeps going it uh-huh. still sounds great so and i mean i guess the hollow body i mean i know stories of guitarists who they thought it was cool and they liked those and then they would end up stuffing foam inside it you know for like feedback so did the instrument itself kind of organically help shape your sound it did yeah i started using pedals pretty pretty soon after i got my electric and I did notice the feedback mm. and I was like, well, maybe I can use this. So basically I play with a bass player and a drummer and I started to kind of use the feedback to my advantage and almost like a synth pad or something, you know, cause I don't have a synth player. I don't have any other instrumentalists on stage. So mm. I basically kind of just, you know, use whatever feedback is coming from it and just ride the volume knob constantly through the, throughout the show to kind of bring it in and out. Yeah. So I think it's cool because it's basically two different uses of one instrument. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. Cool. Um, you're known for really melding different genres, whether it's bluesy rock or hard rock or indie rock or more pop sensibilities. And I was just thinking about your upcoming album outlier and there's one song la ny or do you say mm-hmm. la new york i don't know if you you say 
Do you say? Oh, I see. Yeah, I see. You could say it either. However okay. you want. Okay. I say L.A. New York, but that's okay. You know. L.A. New York. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's about not. I, I think it's about not conforming to music music industry expectations and going your own way. Do you feel that you've found that creative sweet spot at this point in your career? I think with this new record, I have found a sweet spot. Um, it was really cool to work with the bass player from Queens of the Stone Age. His name's mm. Michael Schumann. Yeah. And he produced the record. And it was cool because what I wanted to do was create a record based on the fundamentals of pop music, which is like polish and arrangement and hooks. Mm. And to me, Queens of the Stone Age is, is one of the best rock bands to me, like ever. So, yeah. Being able to kind of come from that need to create a record around those pop ideals and then add in these like kind of weird, hard Queens elements, that's kind of the sweet spot that I was going for. So I think with this record, I am in a sweet spot. I think I achieved the goal that I was looking to to achieve. So speaking about the new album, and you definitely notice it's got these extra synths, the different leaning in the production, but you're still a guitarist and just taking the song Never Gonna Learn. Of course, it's got that riff very at the beginning, but it's a very heavily processed. How do you think you're going to adapt the album with these polished pop sensibilities in the production? How are you going to adapt that to your live show? Yeah, that's a great question. So I've had to come to terms with playing to backing tracks because, man, there's such a freedom in being a blues rock musician that it's Mm. just drums, bass, and guitar and vocals for me. But I was talking to Michael and we were doing pre-production and I was like, man, how am I going to do this live? And he was like, (laughs) just make the best record you can and figure it out later. So that was the approach that I'm taking with this. And I, I mean, I had like a reluctancy, like, I don't want to play the backing tracks, man. But I mean, everybody's doing it at this point. So there's mm. not really any element of shame anymore. <laughs> it doesn't mean I'm not playing the record because the backing tracks are yeah. from the record that I played on. So basically the synth pads and and a lot of the harmonies, I created wave files for my drummer's Roland SPD SX pad. Okay. And so he's got in-ear monitors and he goes into a little mixer um, on the side of his drum rig. And so he'll, he'll hit the click so we, so that we can be right on time with the wave files and hit the pad. And so basically my drummer's playing two instruments. I was going to say, is he getting paid more? He's got like an extra job now. He's good. He is. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't know it yet, but once tour comes, comes, (laughs) you know, rolling back, he'll be getting, getting more. So that's um, right. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a, it's an adjustment for sure. And, but I don't want people to listen to this record and come to a live show and me not give them everything that they heard Mm. on the record. So, you know, I've been adjusting levels and making sure it sounds good and it's it's a whole process, but I think I, I think I figured out the balance of how to make, you know, my guitar cut through the pads and, and meld it all together so it sounds like the record. I mean, I guess there are two kinds of fans, aren't there? There there are those people who show up and they want 
a band or an artist to sound exactly like the album they love. And then there are other fans who really appreciate if an artist takes a song from the album and reinterprets it and remakes it and reshapes it. So, but I guess that's just the struggle that any artist has that you're never going to please all the people all the time. Right. I mean, it's got to be how you want to approach it on stage as, as opposed to what you think maybe people are expecting. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think a good balance that I've, I've been kind of stewing on lately is okay with these new songs off the record, they're going to be, pretty exactly the same Mm. but the old old stuff from like 2019 i'm gonna add in some new elements like maybe some different solos and kind of that's where i'll kind of rope back in the old way of doing things Mm. where it's really based on improv and you know so i think those two things i'll be able to balance the live show so yeah we'll see i i I think it's gonna be good um yeah yeah, rehearsals are starting up so Well, speaking of the the live show, uh, how has the new sound of the album, what has that meant to your guitar pedal board? I know you like to have, you work on those things, you geek out on them. Has that changed or are you still working off the pedal board? You're true and trusted. Oh my God. I had to upgrade significantly. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Uh, But it's so fun. I mean, I was, you know, we were doing the record and I, I've always been before this, I've always been like, okay, how can I get a really small footprint? but a big Mm. sound out of a pedal board. But we did this record in Michael's garage studio. And I looked over one day and his pedal board was like so huge. And I was like, Oh, well this dude has a massive pedal board. I guess I, I, there's no, nothing wrong with that. So I got this 34 by 17, Mm. um, Gator pedal board and I love it. I mean, it's heavy, but, I, so I got this huge pedal board and I upgraded um, to an RJM Mastermind switcher. And I love that thing because you can, you can program it to uh, scroll through songs on a set list. So it's really easy to navigate through songs and you know you can have all these different presets and it's just super flexible. So I upgraded that. I also got an Origin FX Cali 76 compressor, which is all over the record. So I love that compressor. There's a couple new fuzz pedals and a there's something called the Q Zone by MXR, which is a really yeah. Queens kind of sound. That do? What does the Q Zone do? The Q Zone is yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Um no, really? <laughs> I mean pretty much, yeah, that's that's like the sound. It's it's a uh, fixed wah pedal. Just okay. in, you know, it's not a wah pedal, it's like a pedal that you can adjust the Q and the peak and yeah, so that's that's on there. It's a big board. Um, you know, I don't think I'll be able to fly with it, so I need to figure something out. But um, oh, you're gonna have to yeah, <laughs> have a, have a chase van just for the <laughs> pedal board. Yeah, pretty much. Well, I imagine you'll always be a guitarist at heart, but you're taking. It sounds like you're taking a more holistic approach to production and crafting a song that sounds best, I guess, in your head, as opposed to maybe you know fitting the guitar. Is that fair to say? For sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm. Um, I think before this record, I was very like, okay, how am I going to rip a solo live Mm. during this solo? That was the mentality and the approach that I took in writing a song. Like it was all based on the coolest riff I could make. But at this point, I think I've, I guess, matured into a part of my life that I want to create songs that will, you know, stand the test of time and, Mm. 
the ones that have done that in the past are ones that are, you know, like Motown. And I mean, I love Motown because it's so straight to the point and it's hooky. And I want to create songs that really stick with people. And to do that, I had to kind of shift my mentality into making the guitar a part of the song instead of Mm. the song based on the guitar. So that's kind of the approach I'm taking now. I mean, I, I will absolutely still rip a solo whenever I can because I love to do that. So that'll still very much be a part of the live show. It'll just be in, in the older songs. And what does that mean for your songwriting? Are you still doing your songwriting on a guitar or are there different instruments you're using now? Or are you even working from lyrics and working back? What's your creative process look like these days? Yeah, I mean, it still always starts on guitar. I think, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it's just it's just the thing that I always start a song on because it's how I can it's how I can get my ideas out best. Mm-hmm. But I also have kind of taken off the limits. I had these like subconscious limits for myself that were like, okay, it has to be guitar based, you know, no other things allowed. But now that I've kind of opened my mind up into this other world that's based on really sticky songs. Since I started to take that approach, I'm more, you know, I'll start with, you know, MIDI drums or synths and just kind of try and find a cool sound that that's inspiring. But that kind of comes after, you know, my session of sitting down with a guitar for an hour. So it still just starts on guitar. I mean, I think it always will. So what else is on tap? You've got a couple of first shows, but when when does the album come out exactly? The album comes out on June 25th this mm-hmm. year, and then I've got like a fall tour coming up in October. Uh, some a few little kind of spot dates in between now and and then, but the fall dates are kind of based around the this these shows with Joan Jett that I'm playing. Oh, in great! A, a, yeah, in Atlantic City and uh, Red Bank. So that'll be fun. That'll be really fun. Do you know her already or will this be the first time you're performing? Um, I I did meet her briefly. I opened for Heart and Joan last, when was that? I think it was early last year. No, the fall before last year. Whatever that was. I don't know what year we're in. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, it's the I'm last like, 12, 12 months, yeah. Yeah, but I did this like big show at the Cajun Dome with those, uh, them, them, and I met Joan for a second, and it was great. And she like asked for for one of my guitars, and you know oh, it'd wow. be really cool to see her play that on stage. Yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, but yeah. So, um, I don't honestly know if she would know me if I walked past her on the street because <laughs> she's such a legend, and like you know. But that's fine with me. You know, whatever. I'm I'm just happy to be on the same bill so yeah yeah Yeah, cool i mean speaking of the last year it's been really difficult for everybody uh, especially for musicians trying to adapt to the pandemic year and with venues closed and touring off limits do you think it's going to be a challenge kind of rising through the noise It, it sounds like you know everybody's been working on albums everybody's got albums coming out everybody's touring do you foresee that as a as a new challenge or is it just great that everybody will be back on the road again with albums? I see both sides. Um, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be tough to kind of stand out, but at the same time, I know that everybody 
in the world is so hungry for entertainment and music. Mm. And so I can see it being a challenge a little bit, but I also am hopeful that, you know, as, as much as we can get, like people are ready for it. Yeah, no doubt. That's perhaps a good point to wrap up. Emily, thanks so much for speaking with me today. Um, All the best with that new album and with the tour in the fall. Thanks. Thanks for having me. That was Emily Wolf, and this has been Signal Path. This episode was recorded with an SM7B, the podcaster's microphone of choice. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back in a couple weeks with more stories from the people shaping the world of audio.